Hello, everyone, and welcome to my first ever podcast. I'm not going to lie, this does seem pretty awkward, but I think we should get through this. All right, let's get started. All right, like I said, uh, my name is Father Daniel, and welcome to the Chaldean Priest Show. Now, uh, I'm going to get in a little bit uh, and explain to you guys what a Chaldean is, what the Chaldean Catholic Church is, and uh, the purpose of this podcast, okay? But before I do that, let me get uh, started with a brief introduction about myself. So I am a Chaldean Catholic priest. I am assigned as parochial vicar at St. Peter's Chaldean Cathedral here in sunny San Diego. And I've been ordained a priest for a little over two years. Uh, my priestly ordination was on December 19th, 2018. Uh, and uh, Bishop Emmanuel uh, ordained me here at the cathedral alongside with my brother priest, Father Peter if you're listening to this, shout out to you. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, pretty straightforward. I uh, do the day-to-day duties here at St. Peter's. Uh, you know, everything that comes along with that, with my, you know, responsibilities with the youth groups, masses, uh, administering the sacraments, counseling, so on and so forth. Um, and the purpose of this podcast, the reason why I wanted to make a podcast is, uh, number one, I did get inspired with, you know, this whole pandemic, people being quarantined and uh, trying to outsource with different ways to uh, reach everyone. And also, uh, I found a very limited uh, amount of time to say everything I want to say in one five-minute homily. So I figured, you know what, um, why not create a podcast in this way? So uh, let me just tell you exactly what to expect with this podcast. So the first 15 or to 20 minutes or so of the podcast will be about uh, every single podcast will be dedicated to one part of the Chaldean liturgy that uh, has to do with that significant week. So for example, in the Chaldean liturgy, we do have a cycle of different seasons of the church, very similar to the uh, Roman Catholic Church, but uh, there are some seasons that we don't share. For example, there is a season that, a very mini season, uh, we actually just passed it. It's called the Supplication of the Ninevites, and it's called in Aramaic Ba'utha. And what that is, is uh, there is a big compilation from our Chaldean Church Fathers that wrote about the supplication of the Ninevites and the story of Jonah, and we dedicate uh, three days to that, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, for the supplication of the Ninevites. So, for example, if it were to be around that time, I would choose something relevant to this time uh, from that liturgical text and sort of exegete it for you guys and see uh, the different theological aspects, philosophical aspects of it, uh, if that's uh, what it pertains to, and also uh, some sort of application for everyone, you know, for your day-to-day life. So um, that's basically how, how it's going to be. And the second segment of my podcast will be towards the end. It's going to be called The Lines Then. And you could sort of see what I did there. But 
these last five minutes of the show are going to uh, revolve around certain controversial topics that are relevant to us in our day-to-day lives, because I know there are some things that might seem confusing, especially, uh, you know, if you're Catholic and listening to this or a non-Catholic and listening to this, there may be some things that are confusing, but I will try my best to bring clarity to those certain topics, because, uh, you know, for example, there may be a thing that the Pope said that really didn't sit well for you, or you didn't understand, or you think there's a... uh, different way of interpretation. And I'll give you my uh, gist of it, okay? So that's what the podcast is going to look like, okay? And uh, what is the Chaldean Church? Who are the Chaldeans? What is the Chaldean Church? So first, uh, the Chaldean Church is also known as the Church of the East. And uh, we are, the people a part of the Chaldean Church are Aramaic-speaking Chaldeans who come from uh, Mesopotamia, and we speak Aramaic, like I said, and we receive our liturgy and uh, our way of worship from our early church fathers who uh, compiled uh, these uh, liturgical texts together. For example, we received our Mass from uh, Adde, Adde in Mari, who uh, sort of built the foundation of what liturgical worship looks like for the Chaldeans. And as many of you know, we were not always a part of the Catholic Church as a whole. Uh, Until later, we became united to the entirety of the Catholic Church. So within the Catholic Church, there is the West and there's the East. So within the entire Catholic Church, uh, there is an umbrella of different rites of the Church. For example, uh, in the you know, East, the Eastern Rite Catholics, who are they? They are the Chaldeans, they are the Maronites, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And we belong to that. So we do have a patriarchal system as well, where uh, we are under a patriarch and a synod of bishops, but uh, our supreme authority is Pope Francis. Um, so you'll, I'll uh, give you more details on that as my podcasts go by, but that's sort of uh, a gist of who the Chaldeans are and what the Chaldean Catholic Church is. And uh, we're, I mean, also in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where you do see uh, Abraham from uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, right? So it's a, as history says, it is the cradle of civilization. We do come from a very rich history of academia and uh you know, religious studies, and basically everything we have. That's why I wanted to uh, make this podcast revolve around our liturgy, because everything we have, every liturgical text we have is very ancient. And what's so fascinating about this is a lot of the things we have were written by early century monks who had little to no uh, technological means back then. So, you know, what these monks would do is they would uh, sit in their, you know, little cells and Uh, compose all of these liturgical texts, and they were composed in a way where it's theologically rich, and it's poetic, and also they made it in a way to where one is able to chant it, even after, you know, hundreds of years later. That's what we're doing now in the Chaldean Church. So I don't know if any of you have uh, any non-Chaldeans listening to this. If you've ever been to a Chaldean Mass, it's you know, very beautiful. You do hear Aramaic, and we do have our Chaldean masses. 
also uh, in English and in Arabic, but uh, there are many components that are Aramaic-based uh, from our uh, mass. So that's what that is. And of course, if you you know want any more clarification on what the Chaldean Church is, who we are, uh, you can find me on social media and um, ask me whatever you want. So this Monday begins the first day of Lent for the Chaldean Church. Uh, for the Latin Rite Catholics, the uh, first day of Lent begins on Wednesday, and that is because uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, they have the Triduum, the last uh, the three days uh, right before Easter, and uh, which is not considered as part of Lent to uh, make it equal to 40 days. But for us, we have we start on Monday and end uh, on Easter, which makes it a full 40 days. Uh, but in any case, we start Lent on Monday. And how are we to face Lent? What are we, uh, what should we do to prepare for Lent? And how could we make this the best Lent uh, for ourselves? Because I'm sure... Many of us uh, have fasted uh, during Lent, and maybe we've had some difficulties fasting or have come across some things that sort of uh, ruined Lent for us or discouraged us in some way, wh whatever it may be. But what I really want to emphasize right now is uh, the battle that we're up against in Lent, and that is the battle against the devil. Because uh, going to Scripture in Matthew 4 uh, begins the episode of the temptations of Jesus. So Jesus is taken up uh, to the wilderness by the Spirit, and there he is tempted by the devil. And I just want to make one thing clear, is when does this temptation happen? So in Matthew 3, a chapter right before it, Jesus is baptized. So right after his baptism, Jesus faces a temptation. And there's obviously a huge significance of this because after Jesus is baptized, he's ultimately uh, anointed as king, right? We hear the word Christ, which means the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And it is only after that that he's tempted by the devil. And this is a big uh, sort of recapitulation from the Old Testament, because we see something very similar happening to David. Once David is anointed king of the people, what happens? He faces Goliath right after, the, the chapter after, immediately after David faces his biggest enemy, Goliath. And that is only after he is anointed king. And after, and when someone's anointed king, then they are given the responsibility to bring their people to victory. So Jesus does the same thing, but this time, who's the enemy? The enemy is a devil. And we who are also baptized, Catholics, we also take these three offices of Christ too, as uh, priest, prophet, and king, and th by virtue of our baptism. So we too are facing a battle facing this temptation by the devil. And what I want to go through right now is a basilica hymn from our Chaldean liturgy for uh, during the season of Lent. So this is what it says. And uh, this piece that I'm going to read to you, uh, the authorship of it is still unknown. 
because of how early this has been written and, uh, you know, all of the persecutions that the Chaldean church has gone through. There have been many things that have been destroyed. Uh, I mean, we see in modern times uh, through ISIS, right, where ISIS uh, came to the places where we had so many manuscripts stored and uh, completely wrecked them. So in any case, uh, it starts like this. It says, by fasting, the just and the righteous from of old defeated their opponents. Let us all, beloved, fight against the devil's power and trample all his scheming. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Son of God, who conquered by his fasting. So what's happening here? They are showing the effects and how powerful fasting truly could be and the very purpose of fasting. So again, fasting is not to get in better shape, right? Uh, maybe that could be one of the effects of it uh, after, but that shouldn't be the primary reason for fasting. Uh, fasting should be, just as this author was saying, to defeat our opponent. And who is our opponent that is constantly against us? It is a devil. So the way to prepare for Lent, if we want a successful one, is first to take it seriously. Regardless of how many times we've failed in our past Lents, whatever it may be, this Lent should be very unique to us. And we should take it seriously by, you know, maybe talking to a priest, sort of gathering your thoughts on what you want to give up and what you want to add, because uh, those two things play a big role and they work together with what you give up and what you add. And, you know, it would be a good practice, maybe sit down uh, if you have a chapel near you. I know now it's difficult with this whole pandemic, but uh, or even sitting in your room in silence and literally jotting down exactly what you're going to give up on one side and the other side with what you're going to add. And my advice to you would be to make it practical. You know, don't, uh, you know, tell yourself you're going to pray, I don't know, 10 rosaries a day during Lent and something that you, you know, really can't handle. No, be practical about it. Look at your responsibilities, look what you have the capacity to do and do it then. And even if, you know, you do end up uh, tripping during this Lent or, you know, you maybe forgot out of negligence, whatever it may be, it's okay. Just get back up. If you feel like you want to confess it, that's fine too. Have a restart, but don't be discouraged if something happens. You uh, fail at one of your Lenten promises, and you just say, "Okay, forget it. It's not even worth it anymore. I already failed." No, get back up. Have a better attitude than that, because uh, again, the opponent we're facing, he knows exactly which buttons to push to get us to fall. He knows exactly what temptations to put in front of us uh, to get us to, you know, at our weakest point when we're most vulnerable, to get us to fall into sin. And that's exactly what the devil was doing with Christ. So the devil tempted Christ in three ways that is almost identical to the way the serpent tempted Adam in the Garden of Eden. So the devil tempts Christ with, it's called sort of the threefold lust, where he first tells him to turn stones into bread. Then he tells him to throw himself from the mountain and allow his angels to catch him. And third, he shows him the glory of the kingdom and tells him, this will all be yours if you bow down to me. For Christ to turn the stones into bread, that is a form of lust of the flesh. 
the, because Matthew mentions very specifically that Jesus was hungry and the devil really went after his vulnerability in that sense. So he tried to get him to fall there. And then when he tells him uh, to throw himself off the mountain so the angels could catch him, that is a sin of pride, right? And when he tells him to, you know, look at the kingdom and look at all the glories and to bow down to him, that is the lust of the eyes. He's showing him all of these things uh, that, you know, may be glorious in one sense or another to um, a person. Jesus does not fall for that at all. Whereas with Adam, the fruit was delight to the eyes, good for food, and made one wise. And he fell. He ate from the tree. He fell into temptation. And Jesus didn't. That is one of the reasons why Jesus is called the new Adam, is because he did what Adam was unable to do. And he's showing us what we are to do as well and what we're going to be faced with as well. Because all of these things that um, explaining are not a coincidence. This is salvation history in front of us. This is Christ showing us how from the fall of man to God becoming incarnate for our salvation is not some sort of fairy tale. This is real. This is reality. And this is what we're faced against. So if you have any questions about anything that I spoke about or Lent in general, you could find me on Instagram or Twitter and, uh, you know, ask me whatever questions you have and I'll be more than happy to answer to my fullest capability. And now we go to the last segment, the lion's den. So after a very long and pretty disturbing presidential election, we have President Joe Biden as our president for the next four years in America. And Obviously, many of you have heard of many controversial things that have been happening with the president. One that I want to talk about is his stance on abortion and what Archbishop Gomez uh, wrote from the USCCB, him being the president of the USCCB, uh, wrote right after his inauguration. So in this letter, you know, he congratulated him in the beginning and he wrote something very interesting that caused uh, a lot of uproar that I actually started to notice on Twitter. So this is what he says. He says, I must point out that our new president has pledged to pursue certain policies that would advance moral evils and threaten human life and dignity, most seriously in the areas of abortion, contraception, marriage, and gender. Of deep concern is the liberty of the church and the freedom of believers to live according to their consciences. So this didn't really sit well with a lot of people, and I'll just tell you uh, my little spiel on this. And my thing is this these different moral evils that President Biden mentioned, it's its not only evil because the Catholic Church says that it's evil. They're evil by their very nature. Abortion is the killing of, the, of a human life. That's what abortion is, period. And no matter what your political stance is, no matter, you know, whether you side left or right, you know, 
it, the, these things are moral evils, and they are things that we cannot uh, negotiate, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether your political party sides one way or the other. The truth is the truth. The truth is universal no matter what. And unfortunately, it's, you know, in modern times, a lot of these truths have been subjected, and they've been subjected to the individual, to allow the individual to decide whether this certain thing is a moral evil or not. And especially as being Catholics, we need to be better, and we need to set a better example to what the truth is. Just like Christ says, we proclaim the truth on the mountaintops. And this is the very thing that we have to do. And I really applaud Archbishop Gomez for speaking out about this, even though that you know, he got a lot of backlash from, you know, many people around him, many people from all over the nation. But he set the foundation of what America is up against and what is our duty as Catholics. Uh, and that is to stand up for the truth, to stand up for any moral evil that we see in front of us. Because everything we do now not only affects us, it affects all, you know, the generations who are to come. So, this is my podcast. Thank you for listening. If you know, you've know you still been listening until now, I applaud you. Thank you. And uh, sorry if I sounded a little, a little nervous. Like I said in the beginning, this is uh, pretty awkward, but I'm sure I'll get used to this later on. All right. See you next time.